let's begin the new year as is our custom each Sunday morning, praying the Lord's Prayer together. Turn your eyes to the screen and let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to go ahead and uh, relieve you because as the minutes click by, you're going to say he hasn't even read the first line of the outline yet means we're going to be here for a while. Well, actually, we're not even going to deal with the outline today. Uh, As you know, with the end of the year, we get our bulletins ready a couple of weeks in advance. And that was the direction I wanted to go to introduce some new thoughts to you. If you see the new graphic, uh, this present time. (coughs) And um, not only do I want to spend our year off and on talking about how to live in this present time, but I felt like it was good to give a preface to this present time to help you understand what we mean by it. And the closer we got to January 1st, (coughs) excuse me, I realized that we need a preface to the preface. So I'm giving you the preface to the preface, which means there are no notes. I'll I'll try to put some together um, and that we can have them on the website. Thank you. Roy, I appreciate it. Uh, So we'll have it on the website for you. And uh, probably this outline will be more like part three instead of part one. But uh, thank you for your patience and understanding. Um, I have wanted to talk to you about uh, what it means to live in this present time. Now, Paul called... um, present time, the, the evil day, or at least he designated some parts of it as the evil day or the day of evil. He used that phrase in Ephesians chapter 6. When Jesus was being uh, beaten and humiliated on his way to the cross, um, he spoke to a woman who was crying for him and the way he was being treated. And he said, um, woman, he said, uh, you don't need to weep for me. And it wasn't that he was unappreciative of it. He was trying to put it in perspective. He said, you need to understand in this present age, if they have done this in the green, what will they do in the dry? Is the way King James puts it. And what Jesus was saying is, this is an age of great evil. And relatively speaking, these days are better than days that are coming. And if this part of the present time can be like this, what can happen as things get worse? Now, we've got to understand that uh, we are living in a time where there are two prophetic streams. I do not want to be offensive or belligerent. I don't want to sound like I'm talking down to anybody, but I think there are some things that we really need to get our heads wrapped around if we're going to understand how to live in victory during this present time. Um, we, we, we have acknowledged this, but we have not embraced this. 
we have decided it will be this or it will be the other. We have decided it will be so bad that the only thing we can do is for Jesus to come and take us all away and leave the world to itself. You know, and world's going to hell, just let them go, but go without me, I'm going to heaven. Uh, the, the other view is that we, we say that, no, God wants to bless us. He wants to pour out his spirit. So we make no room for suffering. We make no room for persecution. We make no room for difficulty. We make no room for trials. And so we have a church that is a little schizophrenic. One group says nothing bad will ever happen to me. Uh, I'm going to conquer this world. I'm going to get it ready so that Jesus will think it's a nice place to come back to and then he will return. Or we have other Christians that say it's so bad there's nothing we can do. Just come Lord Jesus right now. We're, we're putting all our money on the rapture. And the fact of the matter is there's truth in both of those. We do ache and long for the coming of the Lord and we ought to. And this world is getting deeper in darkness in spite of the good that the gospel is doing. And it's not because the gospel is losing or the gospel is not enough. It's not that wickedness is stronger or that wickedness will prevail. Jesus put it this way. He said, it's like wheat and tares that have been planted together. <clears throat> the day of judgment is coming. He says, the tares will be bound and burned and the wheat will be gathered and will be part of life. But he said that separation is not going to happen until everything has matured, until everything has transpired. And loved ones, again, I don't mean to sound like I'm talking down to anyone. I, please, uh, if, if I'm sounding that way, it's a mistake of, of my head, not my heart. Um, but I want you to understand the most critical thing I believe for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ right now is to understand what we mean by this present time. You are living in this present time and we're working toward and waiting for the appearance of the Lord Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom. His kingdom has come but it has not been fully manifest. It won't be fully manifest until he returns. The enemy, we can conquer the enemy and we ought to have victory over the enemy in our lives. But the Bible says that not everything about the enemy is destroyed now. It's not all destroyed by our power. The last enemy to be conquered is death. We, no matter what cream you use or what oil you use, or what doctor you go to, uh, you're, you're getting older. And, and most of us, now not, none, of, none of our ladies I'm, I've noticed, but us guys, we're getting more wrinkled. We're, 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 we look like we've been rowed hard and put up wet. Nobody's brushed us out. <laughs> ladies are looking good, but even, even our ladies are going to perish because death is the last enemy that will be conquered. Now, Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has overruled death. But the full flower of that will not occur until his return. And that's why even though we live in victory over the enemy, and that's why, even though we have, um, you know, we, we have a warfare that is going to end in victory for us, we still understand that Paul said very plainly that Satan will be destroyed 
by the appearance of his coming. We can bind, we can, we can have victories, we can walk in victory, and I believe in all of that. We, we are not helpless victims in the spiritual realm, but things aren't going to be set in perfect order until Jesus comes back. There's a lot we can do. There's a lot we ought to do. There's a lot of victory we can walk in, and we ought to walk in that victory. But we need to understand we're living in a world of wheat and tares, and there are two streams. And I know we know this intellectually, but loved ones, this, this, the fruit of not understanding this is beginning to flourish in the world and in the church. I've never seen as much pushback against the idea of the sovereignty of God. If God, and, and what I mean by sovereignty is not, depending on your church backgrounds, what you mean by sovereignty. I mean the fact that God is in control. I don't believe God does everything. I don't think, I don't believe everything that happens happens because it is the will of God. That is, that is not sovereignty, that's fatalism. But I do believe when we talk about the sovereignty of God is that God is able to take everything that happens, every event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, though he's not the author of all of them, he is able to make all of them work together. And they all work under his control. They all work under his dominion. And he is able to make all things work together for good to those of us that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. But what we must beware of, and I know you're tired of me saying it, because I know I've hit it pretty heavy over the last three years. We started really emphasizing this in 2020 when COVID sprang up. And then we hit it hard in 21 and in 22. And I believe we're entering the fourth year of a trial by fire. I believe that we are in the fourth year, beginning the fourth year of a, of a testing um, where foundations that we have counted on are being destroyed or shaken or at best re-evaluated. And we are at the most dangerous point of this four years of deciding where we're going to let our foundation be built. Is it going to be built on politics? Is it going to be built on, on um, uh, personalities? Is it going to be built on this, that, or the other? We could just name on and on and on. And there's only one solid rock that we can build upon. Uh, we need to understand that the eternal God is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. I realize that there have been churches that are mistaken. There have been pastors that are mistaken. There have been Christians that are mistaken. But what we must understand is that he is still the solid rock. He is still the foundation. It is him that we must build our homes upon or our foundation will not crumble. They that labor, the psalmist said, labor in vain unless the Lord is building the city. He said, you can set up watchmen, but the watchmen watch in vain unless the Lord keeps the city. And guys, we're at a point where we need to return to some things. Now, there's some things need to be changed. There's some things that have been exposed and that need to be dealt with. Now, that may mean something different to everyone in here. But I, I acknowledge that there are things that need to be, that have been exposed and need to be redone. But there are things that we need to return to. And at the heart of everything we need to return to is Orthodox Christianity. The teaching of Scripture, the life that is lived in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, because any other foundation is going to flounder.
any other foundation is going to fall. But I don't think that we can really understand how to build. It's, it's like our nation, our homes are either going to be on the rocks or on the rock. And I don't think we can understand how to build on the rock unless we understand this present age, this present time. Um, it's, it's not our time. It's not our realm. It's not our kingdom. I don't belong permanently in this world. So I must not waste my time putting all my energy building a kingdom in this world. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. You are just passing through. And I don't mean by that that we stick our head in the sand and just let the world fly by us and go to hell on its own. No, but I'm saying we've got to understand that we are in two worlds at the same time. Now, let me say it this way. There are two prophetic streams. This is what I started to say a while ago, and I interrupted myself. But I don't mind. I always yield the floor to smarter people. So I was... Boy, that's loaded. But anyway, uh, what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to, I mean, we've, we've all heard that. There are two prophetic streams. But I think it's so important that we understand, as preface to the preface to the series, that we need a biblical worldview. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, maybe. But we also need to understand the climate in which our life grows. There is one stream of prophecy that is 100% true. And there is one stream of prophecy that is 100% true. They're both equally true, but one is bad news on the surface. One is good news. The Bible says that there is coming a prediction or that, that a prediction is coming true, I should say, that as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus, the world will get worse. The system will get worse. Oh, we can, we can season it. We can preserve it as salt. We can preserve and we can season. There are things that society owes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that they have no idea that they owe to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a preserving, sanctifying effect, but it's delaying the, the full expression of evil in the world. We know that God at any time could pluck up the tares. We know that God at any time could just wipe the slate clean and start over. But in his wisdom, he says, tares and wheat will grow up together and there will come a time of maximum expression when the wheat will be seen as wheat and the tares will be seen as tares. The, this will be the fate of the wheat. This will be the fate of the tares. And we're, we try to live as though that were not true. So we have the uh, word of faith portion of the church that, that we love and we appreciate, but it denies there's anything negative going on that we don't just overcome by our words. Or there's no darkness that we can't just drive out 
by some simple spiritual warfare. And then we've got the other side of the church that does not put any stock in the supernatural. They say it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And so the only thing I'm praying for is Jesus to get me home. I remember the, the, the worst opposition I had to an evangelistic effort. This was back decades ago. I was a young man um, uh, and I was trying to present something to the church. It was the only church I've ever pastored where we know measurably and verifiably that we went to every door in the community to share the gospel. And that was a small community. It was only about 6,000 people. But we went to every home and we were doing our best to spread the gospel. And one of the ladies that we just, we didn't even ask her to go door to door. We just asked her, would you please just keep babies in the nursery while we do this? And she said, I don't want to do this. I've done my time. And she clutched her Bible to her bosom and she said, all I want to do is read my Bible and wait for Jesus to come. And I mean, she had been a faithful pillar of the church. I didn't want to argue with her. I didn't want to hurt her. But she had taken the approach of it's just getting worse and worse and I'm just waiting for Jesus to come. Then there were others in that same church that said, you know, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force, which is another sermon for another time altogether. It's a good sermon, but he was just saying, we can change everything. We can defeat all darkness and we don't have to wait for Jesus to come because we are more than conquerors. And I realized that I, I was dealing with people, both of whom were in such incredible error, I could do nothing with either of them. And, and I, I don't mean to be offensive to you, but I could do nothing with either of them. Uh, there, there is that middle ground where Jesus will destroy Satan by the power of his coming. We do our best. We win every victory. We pursue righteousness. We fight wickedness. We, we work as though nothing uh, was going to happen except our efforts, but we depend on Jesus to set everything right in the end. And here's the first prophetic line that's totally true. In the last days, evil men, seducers, workers of wickedness will grow worse and worse and worse. Not only in their deception of others, but the deception that covers their own heart. It will get worse and worse and worse. Jesus said there was a day coming uh, during the tribulation period that would be a day of such terminal illness that unless God shortened the days, no flesh would be saved. Um, the book of Revelation is really, really puts things in perspective for those that say, well, the God of the Old Testament was a God of judgment, but the God of the New Testament is a God of mercy. And um, uh, I, I just want to remind you, Revelation is in the New Testament, okay? Um, God has no need to change. He has no need for anger management. He has been and always shall be the great I am, and he is perfect. But there's going to be a prophetic stream where things and people and institutions get worse and worse and worse. But there's another prophetic stream that is just as true. I will pour out my spirit in the last days on all flesh and my sons and my daughters will prophesy. Your old men 
will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions on rich and poor alike. I will pour out of my spirit in that day, says the Lord. And I've often said it's up to us to decide which one we want to, to fulfill. We can fulfill the bad. We can fulfill the beautiful. But I want to take it a step further and be sure that you understand today. It's, it's not just that we have to decide which one we're going to fill, uh, fulfill. We also need to understand they're both going to happen. They're both going to happen. So our challenge is to learn how to live in this present time. That's why Paul would say, I reckon that it's uh, uh, the sufferings of this present time, there are sufferings in this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I was... Uh, uh, a young teenager and my dad took me to Cape Kennedy. My generation grew up, you know, during the Mercury and Gemini and Apollo programs. Every kid wanted to be an astronaut. Um, and, and, and everybody growing up wanted to be president or an astronaut. Those were the big jobs in the, in the 60s and, uh, and earlier. And he took me so I could see one of the spacecraft up close and personal. It was an Apollo uh, capsule that was sitting on top of a Saturn V rocket in the vehicle assembly building. It was a building so tall, the, the Saturn V rocket was so huge, that in that building where they put everything together, um, sometimes if the weather conditions were right, little clouds would form in the top of the building. It was, it was an amazing thing. And I listened as they said, this thing is a high-tech engine that will move it from this building all the way out to the launch pad. And I remember thinking eight feet to the gallon. That was the gas mileage that thing got. And um, uh, it reminded me of a couple of cars I bought later. But uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I was in awe. And I bought a patch that I wanted to have because I saw this Apollo. And it was the patch for Apollo 13. And some of you remember Apollo 13. It was the one that was launched. They had an explosion on their way to the moon. They could not land on the moon. They did not think they were going to be able to get them back home. They were just going to orbit the moon, slingshot around, come back home. And they lost so much. They lost so much life support. They lost, they didn't have much computer technology at the time anyway, but they lost much of it. And I don't remember if I read it in the book or if it was in the movie, but I know that it happened. Somebody said to um, uh, one of the uh, ground command leaders, how are we going to get them back? We can't see this. We don't have that. We don't have the other. And the guy, it was like John Wayne pulling out a pistol. Said They said he pulled out a slide rule and he said, we're going to get them back by mathematics. Now, I've, I went pretty deep in math mathematics. Um, maybe some of you, has anybody ever heard of long division? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got into long division. So uh, I bought a slide rule one time because all my smart math friends had a slide rule and after trying to figure out slide rule, I just used it to, to shoot marbles with. That was, <laughs> never did figure out the slide rule. And if you, the, the book is phenomenal. Uh, the movie does a very good job. I'm not, boy, every time I endorse a movie that somebody tells me there's language or something, I don't remember 
uh, it's been so long since I seen, saw it, but the movie did a good job of portraying them getting back to, to earth, the slimmest of odds, getting Apollo 13 back to uh, splash down safely. But everything started being about mathematics. Everything, we can do that. How do we do this? The odds are that we'll never do that if we figure it mathematically. And boy, they had angles and time burn, uh, uh, burn times. They had angles of descent. They had thruster uh, calculations. It, 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 was, it was unimaginable what they calculated mathematically and they got everybody home. Now, I want to tell you when I say that there are two streams of prophetic, you cannot look at it with the eyes of the flesh and figure it out. It's, it's counterintuitive. If you look at what we're against, you'd say, well, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Because I'll tell you the way it is. Because you've got wheat and tares, you're going to go out in the field one day and the, and the tares are going to be three inches taller. You're going to go out another day and the wheat's going to be an inch taller. And you've got to understand there are going to be moments when it looks like God is winning. And that's when you come to church and pay double tithe. But there are also going to be weeks when it looks like God's losing, that the enemy is prevailing. You say, well, I know, but it just ought not to be that way. But it is that way. It is that way. God, who is in control of the harvest, said, let the tares live. Every time something goes backwards, it's because God allowed it to live another day. Now, I know that I'm not talking about some fatalistic, well, some days are good, some days are bad. I'm talking about God has promised us. He has promised us a process. And he has promised us victory. But because of the age that has been generated by these last three years, I've never seen as much pushback against churches, against, against anything that differs from our opinion. I've never seen such pushback against God. I've, I've never seen this kind of thing where we're going to fix it, and if God can't fix it, I'll fix it. And loved ones, that's a predominant thing in our society. And the thing that frightens me is that church after church after church, I see it rising. As churches say, well, the old pattern didn't work. We're going to try something new. Now, don't get me wrong. I know we're in an age where marriage is challenged, uh, um, uh, sexuality is challenged, and there's been a lot of injustice, and we've got we've to straighten out the injustice. We have got a truckload of problems and challenges that we've got to work through. I understand that. But I want you to understand something. We have made two fun foundational mistakes in the church world. Number one, there's the church that's mean as a snake. There's the church that says, we are right, you are wrong, we'll never compromise the gospel. They might even say King James all the way, if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us. And I have known, I mean, I have been up close and personal. I'm friends with some of the pastors of churches that are so angry 
And they don't understand why nobody who is lost sees any light in them. They are right theologically, but their heart is full of bitterness and anger. Their heart, they are, they are afraid because they, they are seeing a rebellion rise and they say the only way to fight rebellion is with rebellion. The only way to, 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 to punch is to punch down. And I want to say this, you can call it prophetic, you can call it pathetic, you can go you know, either one. But God is not going to use, for the most part, God is not going to use those churches that default to anger. Now, there are exceptions, and God can use anything. God can use donkeys. God can use Ammonites. God can use Edomites. God can use Babylonians and Assyrians. God can use anything. But a church that says we are going to win people by hating them is not going to be in the receiving end of God's grace. But I also want to tell you this. Are you guys with me here? I also want to tell you there's an equally damaging mistake, probably more damaging, uh, and that is the church that has said, well, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to hurt people. We don't want to make it hard for people to come to Jesus. So we will compromise our message and we will change uh, or at least give a question mark where we ought to have exclamation points and we'll make the Word of God something that, well, on one hand this, on the other hand that. And I, I want to tell you, they feel confident that they are doing the work of God because Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And if we're going to win them, we've got to love them. And they don't believe we love them if we don't embrace their lifestyle and we don't embrace their beliefs. So we have got to not be so rigid. I want to tell you something. God's not going to use that either. He's not going to use those that think they will impact the world through hatred. He's not going to use those that think they will impact the world by compromising the gospel. But there is a treasure. Now, there's a lot of churches, maybe even most churches, that haven't decided where they're going to land yet. This year is going to be a year of real decision for churches. But there are a group of churches that say we want to be strictly faithful to the Bible. We believe every word is, is God's word. We believe that it's preserved from error in its original uh, text. We believe that God's word is not contradictory. We believe that God's word cannot be broken. We believe that God's word says what it means and means what it says. And the only time there's a problem is when we interpret something wrongly. We believe the word of God, but we are going to love the unlovable. We are going to talk with those that think we're crazy, but we're not going to cave in on matters of principle and on matters of doctrine. I want you to know it does make a difference what you believe. It does make a difference on the gospel you present. Nobody loved like Jesus when the rich young ruler came to Jesus looking to join the church. He said, good master, tell me what commands I need to keep in order to, to go to heaven and to be a part of what you're doing. And Jesus said, you know the commandments, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That was the overarching commandments. 
Um, all 614 commands were summarized in those two commands. He says, all of these have I kept from my life, uh, from my youth onward. <clears throat> and the Bible says something very interesting. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, I believe Jesus loves everybody he looks at. But Jesus looked at this young man and there was something about, there was, there was a, he had a, Jesus had a particularly soft spot for this person. Maybe he saw him, maybe he knew him growing up in synagogue. Maybe he saw the prayers he prayed in what we would call Sunday school or, or in vacation Bible school or something. And he knew this boy's heart was, was hungry for God. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I mean, of all the things could have, that could have been said, it could have said Jesus looked at him and knew he was smart. Jesus looked at him and he had a great worship voice. Jesus looked at him and this, that, or the other. But Jesus looked at him and loved him. And Jesus said, okay, this man has a heart for God. I love him. We can work with this. There's one thing that has a hook in you, and that is your desire for money. He says, so this, I mean, this is the reasoning. I believe I know what Jesus said. Jesus said, you only lack one thing, just one simple thing. Just go sell everything you have, give to the poor, come follow me. Can you believe like the demoniac of Gadara? He wanted to follow Jesus and Jesus said, no, you need to stay here. Here's one Jesus is inviting to come. Can you imagine what it's like? Jesus says, come on. I want you to be part of this crowd. You come follow me. And the Bible says that the young man went away sorrowful because he had great riches. Now, we understand that that was saying that he went away sorrowful because he didn't get rid of his riches. Somebody said, well, maybe he went away to get rid of his riches and he was sad, but came back. Well, that's not the context of the story. I hope that's what happened. But this is the second thing. The first amazing thing is that Jesus looked at him and loved him. The second amazing thing is that when Jesus, with all that love, with all that potential, with all those right answers, when he began to walk away, Jesus loved him, but Jesus did not stop him. He didn't say, let me give you a deal. Let me, let me, let's, I know you got money problems, but let's talk about, let's talk about your, we can work something out. No, no, loved ones, there is, a, there is a church and there are Christians that hold to his word and we don't bend the word. Now, when we're not sure about something, we, we will be flexible. You know, there are churches, I have good friends, we disagree on whether baptism is by immersion or whether baptism is by sprinkling or whether baptism is by pouring. I've got one friend that says, well, all that matters is the top of the head, you know, so I'll take all three, you know, it doesn't matter. We might disagree on whether a baby should be baptized or a baby should be dedicated. We disagree on those things, but we have fellowship. We pray together. We love together because that's not uh, an issue that divides us. We believe this, each of us believes that baptism is this, that, or the other, but we realize that it's not a life and death issue, so I can have fellowship with them. But loved ones, when you start contradicting the clear commands of God's Word, when you start denying the deity of Jesus or the efficacy of the blood of Jesus, 
when you start saying that Jesus was not raised from the dead, that Jesus was not God, there are places where you have to draw a line and you say, I love you and, and I thank you for the good you're doing, but we can't walk in agreement here. We can't. But there are people over here that say we've got to love more, we've got to love more, we've got to be compassionate, we've got to let everybody, even if they disagree with us, come into the church. Now, we're not going to let them teach Sunday school, we're not going to make them a, a board member, we're not going to hire them on staff. And Lemons, I'm just telling you that, we wouldn't want anybody in leadership that doesn't believe what we believe. But we do want people to come in and feel the presence of the Lord. We want people to come in and know they're loved. And one person said to me one time, he said, I just feel like you're always trying to straighten me out. And I said, I'm trying to straighten everybody out. I said, my wife will tell you that she's trying desperately to straighten me out. I said, if I speak to the sin in your life, I also speak to the sin in this person's life. And I said, you know what's scary is I speak to the sin in my own life. We want you here. You belong here. We love you. We'll be there for you. But we can't say that sin is okay. And if you, can, if you can live with us there, we'll take this journey together. We're not trying to create a problem-free church. You missed out on that the day you elected me pastor. <laughs> you might have had a shot before then, but not anymore. And loved ones... What that boils down to is we realize in this present time, we are in a system where evil is prophesied and being fulfilled, not pointing to you, Roy, where evil is prophesied and being fulfilled and righteousness is being prophesied and fulfilled. Nothing for you, Justin. This is just this general here. Okay. <laughs> um, loved ones, the sooner we can come to the place where we realize we are in a broken world. God's not broken. I hear that sometimes. No, nobody here, I don't know if anybody ever said God is broken. But the world is broken. We live in a system that's broken. And we need to understand that we need to, to, to find out what the Bible says about living in this present time because there's a future time that's coming. It's the kingdom of God. Now, don't worry. This is the preface to the preface. So you, we'll get through it. The Lord will help us. I promise you. Just say Ebenezer, which means the Lord helps us. Okay. Um, for several years, we've been saying that. And from what I want to do from this point on, I've explained, hopefully, why we're taking this approach. I want to explain to you a little bit about the air you're breathing uh, in society. Um, for several years, we have been saying that the middle ground is eroding. Um, I think American morality and American politics and even American churches have been like this for a long, long time. You had this extreme view over here and you had this extreme view over here. And by extreme, that doesn't necessarily mean they're evil. They could be, but you had two extreme views, but you had this huge middle ground. And, and, um, You've always had extreme views in America, good, bad, and ugly. But the majority of folks found what we call a middle ground. And I'm not talking about compromise. I'm just talking about they, they realized that we have to live together and there's a way we live together. But this has been eroded over the past few decades so that it's almost like we're a nation of two 
opposing views, and there's very little room to stand in the middle, very little room or permission given to straddle the line and say, well, I believe this, but I also understand this. People don't let you do that anymore. So whenever the middle ground gets eroded in society, it's just a matter of time until it gets eroded in church. And then you have churches that become self-righteous. Then you have churches that become self-serving. But right there in the middle, hopefully, God is raising up a group of churches that are remnant churches. Now, why are they called remnant? That's an Old Testament word. It began, to the best of my knowledge, it began with Isaiah. He said, now, all of Israel may go this way. All of Judah may go this way. But God will have a remnant. God will have people that live righteously. And he says God can do as much with the remnant as he can do with a great crowd. He taught us that through Gideon. He taught us that through Jonathan and his armor bearer. Jonathan said it doesn't matter to the Lord if it's a great number or a small number as long as he has somebody that will yield to him. So we need to understand we are living in the age of the remnant. You say, well, pastor, that's kind of self-serving saying we're the remnant. Well, I believe we're the remnant. But we have to guard against uh, sloppy love and we have to guard against rigid uh, legalism because both of those want to have a way of creeping in and destroying what we believe to be truth. We've got to understand Jesus made some pretty strong statements like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then if People didn't understand that. He went a little step further. He said, no one can come to the Father. No matter how well-intentioned or how sincere, no one can come to the Father unless he comes through me. No one can come to the Father unless he comes through me. So you've got these churches over here that are hard-hearted, and they don't make Christianity appealing. Now, don't get me wrong. I know the gospel is offensive. I don't know of a system or a message in America that's any more offensive than the gospel. <laughs> I mean, Jesus makes incredible demands. It's my way or the highway. And then there are those over here that just feel like, well, if, you know, we, we just need to make it where people can get in. I, I, get them in, but it's one thing to get in the church. It's another thing to get in the kingdom. And that's where the remnant church comes in. Let me, let me recap here because I know you're getting tense and, and uh, some of you are still eating chocolate from last Sunday. So I need to let you, because tomorrow the, the new resolutions start. Um, 2020 shook our world and it literally our world and especially our nation shook our churches and I said early on that 2020 would show us what's in us. 2020 was designed to shake us so that we can see what is in us. I'm, I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about nations. But specifically, I'm talking about church. And in 2020, most of us were astounded at what was in us, whether it was good or bad. I am amazed at people that defected in 2020. I'm just amazed. People left that I thought would never leave. But I am also amazed at people that stepped up 
in 2020. Some of them I thought, well, we won't have them long. Their heart's not with us. But 2020 showed that their heart was with us. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying if you left, you're evil. And if you stayed, you're righteous. I'm just saying a lot of surprising things happened in 2020. A lot of things were said that I thought I'd never hear. A lot of things were said that I thought I'd never hear, good and bad. But what happened in 2020, we were all brought to the table and we realized what a good crisis can bring to the surface in us. I think that it was good for the church. I think it was good for our lives because God every now and then needs to say, this is what's in you. This is what's in you. Jesus, that man that was the rich young ruler, had everything going on his side. Everything was great. And Jesus knew exactly which button to push to cause every hidden thing in him to rise to the surface. Okay, 2021, we, we, uh, the biggest thing of 2021 is we felt that we had lived through the tribulation. You remember March of 2020, only month we've ever had with 108 days in it. Such a long month, and we thought it would never end. Um, 2021, I began to understand about halfway through that we, were, we had been shown what's in us, good and bad. And all of it was with the, with the intention of redeeming and strengthening. Um, I don't think God did it in order to condemn or judge, but it's like sometimes you just need a good shaking. 2021, what will we do with what is in us? Will we tear it down or will we build it up? Will we give our attention to bitterness, to unforgiveness, to anger, to lawlessness, to wrath, to vengeance? Or will we become part of the solution instead of part of the problem? And 2021 was a year that started getting better, but I saw it as a pastor. People were weighing. They were looking around them at the rubble. What am I going to do? What am I going to embrace? What am I going to cling to? What am I going to get rid of my life, uh, in my life? Then came 2022, which has been a wild roller coaster ride. Um, and sometimes a roller coaster ride is exhilarating, sometimes it's terrifying. Uh, and I'll let you decide which your ride has been. But I think three things, as I prayed, I felt like the Lord said He was going to do three things in 2022. And as I look back, I think this is what happened. Uh, and for those of you that may be new to our church, we believe the Lord speaks to us. We believe in prophetic words. We don't believe any word or any prophecy or any impression is equal to the Word of God. So I just, I just wanted to say that for new folks in our congregation. We believe that the Spirit is speaking, but we believe that the Spirit has spoken through the Word, and it's, it takes priority. But I began to believe that 2022, God was saying, it's going to be a time of evaluation. We're going to see. We're going to, in 2022, we began to understand what some of the rubble was around us. Some of us, bear with me, guys. I'm trying to hurry here. It, Justin, if you'll hurry, maybe we can get done here. But some of us spent 2020 and 2021 trying to figure out what happened and what collapsed. And how am I going to rebuild it? And 2022, you began to look around you at the ruin of your life, whether it was a job or security or, 
or relationships, friendships. I want to tell you, 2020 and 2021 especially uh, were very hard on friendships. And a lot of people have withdrawn because they've been so hurt from friendships. But we, 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 we've had to evaluate. What is this around me? What does it mean? And then the second thing that I think God was impressing on our part, not only did we need to do an honest evaluation, but some of us needed to really understand what it means to have an evacuation. Um, come out of Babylon. That is something we have preached for six or seven years. God is calling his people to come out of this world system. It's the haunt of demons. It's the haunt of bondage. It's the haunt of everything evil. That's how the book of Revelation describes it. And he's not fussing at the world for being Babylon. Babylon's coming down. Babylon is fallen is the word of Revelation. Now it's not fallen completely, but the foundation's broken and God is bringing Babylon down. But he says, come out of her. Who's he talking to? My people. We fuss at the Democrats because they're holding on to Babylon. We fuss at the Republicans because there's something in them of Babylon. We fuss at this group. We fuss at that group. And we say, Lord, when are you going to deal with Babylon? And he says, I can't deal with Babylon until you get out of it. See, we're wanting him to tear Babylon down. And God is sending angels in our lives just like he sent to Sodom, to Lot, get out. Their word specifically is, I can't finish this until you are out of here. And by not coming out of Babylon, we are propagating the life of an evil system. Oh, I don't mean move to another country. <coughs> I don't mean renounce your citizenship. I'm not talking about civil war, nothing like that. I'm saying our lives have to quit being ruled by the wisdom of this age. And we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we need to live from the perspective of the kingdom of God. Now there's evaluation, evacuation. And then the third thing he said that he was hitting hard was eviction. He said there are things that we've allowed in our lives. Not only is there stuff we need to come out of, but there's stuff that we have put in our lives that we need to evict. We need to deal with secret sins. We need to deal, and I don't need to go through, but secret sin could be a dozen, any one of a dozen or two dozen things. You know, and I know, we know if there's anything in our hearts that we are hiding, that we are hiding from our spouse or from our children or from our parents or from our church. Is there something in your life that you would be ashamed of? If the white light of Christ's coming suddenly took place, we need to evict some things. Now, I said this is going to be a year of increase. That evil stream is going to increase. And that righteous stream is going to increase. We have to understand how to receive the righteous stream. We need to understand how to reject the rise of wickedness. Okay, I will try to finish in 10 minutes, but this is very important. I'm sorry I don't have this written down for you. I know it would be a lot easier. Um, we're going to have increased opportunities for the presence of God. It's very important. Uh, in times past, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this, we would hear of the presence of God 
at a church or at a revival or at a city somewhere. And many of us, and I've done it, I've gone to where the presence of God was felt in such a special way. That, that's, that's wise to do that sometimes. There's a time to go to the presence of God. There's nothing wrong with that until you begin to mistake the place for the presence. Um, I don't think the presence that we're going to know. Oh, I think there will be people say, let's go to church. The presence of God is in that place. That's right and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think you're going to be introduced to the presence of God in a new way with a gentle nudging. A gentle nudging. It's going to um, be something that is just a tender, why don't you leave the DVR off just for 15 minutes? Just give me 15 minutes. The game will still be there. The game will still be there. Or why don't you put this off? For a half hour. When Jesus said to the disciples, could you not watch with me for an hour? We, we instinctively read that as a rebuke. And, and I'm sure there was an element of rebuke in it, but it was a cry for fellowship. It was a cry for Jesus to, I want you to come and enter into the fellowship of my sufferings. There is suffering that is bringing righteousness that has never occurred on this level don't you want to be a part of that? It'll take an hour, just an hour. We know what happened, but oh my God, how would the life of Peter and James and John have been changed if they had entered into that experience with Jesus? You're going to have taps on the shoulder, so to speak, uh, spiritually. You're going to say, I don't want to pray. I've had a long day. I've already spent an hour in prayer today. And you're going to feel just that gentle call. Just come away. It's going to be like reading the book of, of uh, the, the Song of Solomon. Come away, my beloved. The, 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 the love-struck couple is, is trying to rest. They're trying to reconcile that they're not together. But their heart hears a come away, my beloved. And loved ones, you're going, to, you're, you're going to feel just that gentle pulling. And I believe that there are some people that they get jerked out of bed. Oh, I believe that. They get jerked out of bed. But I want to tell you, this is a time in your life that God is going to hone your sensitivity to the spirit of the living God. You're going to be more aware of those gentle moments. I tell you, we're going to learn that great big doors in the kingdom turn on small hinges. Small hinges. Small hinges. You say, well, Pastor, I just don't know if I'm up to that. Well, you have to go back to our text. Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy. See, this going back to Apollo 13... You have to do the mathematics. You have to stop thinking the old way and you have to pull out your spiritual slide rule. You see, the problem with spiritual mathematics is it never works by our natural mind. Well, we got enough to feed seven people. Well, we've got thousands here. Okay, seven divided by 5,000. I got it. And he multiplies the fish and the bread. God said, yes, mathematics matters in the kingdom, but you've got to understand this. The first shall be last. 
And the last shall be first. And it doesn't matter to God if you go into battle with 10,000 or 300. God will send you into a situation alone because it's more important for you to learn that you plus God is a majority. Then there are other times he'll send you in with a whole host of warriors. God says, I want you to, I want you to reckon. I want you to come through this season having done the math. Now, let me, let me assure you, it's going to fry your brain. It's going to be worse than long division. Because heaven's math doesn't work. But if you can get to the place like Paul where you say, I have reckoned. I have reckoned. I have reckoned. He knew that God's mathematics didn't make sense. Paul said, I have done the math and I figured out when I am weakest, that's when I'm strongest. When I am the least, that's when I'm the greatest. See, we've got to understand if you're going to survive this present time, you've got to tap into another culture. You've got to tap into another power. There's going to be an opportunity for presence like you've never seen before. I used to have a dog, beautiful, beautiful chow chow puppy that we raised um, in, as an inside dog. And especially when she was little and she had to go to the bathroom in the night. Um, I don't know why she did it. I don't know if I was easier to wake up. But she would come to me and just kind of nuzzle my face with her whiskers. And I'd wake, wake up and, you know. But when that didn't work, apparently, or whenever she wanted Ramona to take her out, she would walk, walk over to Ramona, gently get a mouthful of her hair, and then go, <laughs> The first few times Ramona would wake up screaming. She thought she was under attack. I know, I know that God knows how to seize our hearts and jerk our hair. I know that. But look for quiet whispers. Look for brushes of angels' wings. God says, I want you to know there's more to my presence than you realize. We're going to also see more power. Now, a lot of times I think we have been guilty of wanting power unintentionally wanting power so that we can be known as a healer. You know, Justin Smith, child of God, miracle healer, specializing in hernias and athlete's foot. You know, we want, to, we want something we can put on a, on a card. We want something we can put on a card. But you know what? I believe God is going to do what God's been showing me in dreams and things. God is showing me of us where we don't feel any particular anointing where we don't feel any particular unction, but we just take somebody by the hand and say, before I go, let me pray for you. And we pray for something and we leave. And multitudes of times we would leave and we would get a phone call. When you left, something began to happen. God healed me. See, if God can find a remnant that doesn't care anything about getting the glory or statistics then he'll bless us with power. We're going to see power like never before. Um, let me say one more thing, and then I'll try to wrap this up. Um, you're going to have increased revelation and anointing. And God gave me a, a, a vision this week as I was talking about, um, I'll talk a little bit more about this in the preface, not, not the preface to the preface, but in the preface. 
But God said, what I'm going to do through my people is going to be untangling knots. And I'm not always real quick, you know, untangling knots. But you know how frustrating it is when a fishing line's tangled or when Christmas lights are tangled. That's why I buy new Christmas lights every year. It's not worth the untangling. But, but God showed me in a vision. I was frustrated because I knew that if I could get this rope untangled, I could help connect this with this. But I couldn't get it untangled. I tried. I just couldn't get it untangled. And the Lord uh, or an angel, something came over and just said, try it again. And it seemed like every pull I made was the right piece of rope until I got down to where the knot was almost gone and then it just fell at my feet as a cord and I was able to connect this and this. God is wanting to untangle things that to us we thought were only for the special or only for the gifted in a unique kind of way. And God is saying, I'm going to make my presence known to you. I'm going to let my power flow through you. I'm going to give you wisdom and you're going to be able to uncomplicate things that you had no idea of what you were going to say. We are about to enter a season when we are amazed that God will use us to do the things that he wants to do. Now, I, I'd, I'd like to talk more, but we, we need to stop because now I'm at the, my, my preface. So I don't need to get into that. But we're going to talk a little bit more about this kind of stuff next week, preparing our hearts to be used. Then we'll get into the biblical worldview, Lord willing. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you Thank you for helping us through this present time. We thank you for the promise of the future. We thank you for the problem solving of our past. But Lord, we live in this present time. And Father, we need your power. We need your presence. We need your peace. Father, the day of superstars has come to an end. The day of megastars has come to an end. Forgive us, Lord, whoever we may. Maybe it's been something that's been done publicly. Maybe it's been something we've done in our own heart. But Lord, forgive us for letting our usefulness in your hands promote our agenda or our ego. Thank you, Lord that you sent the disciples out. And thank you that you're sending us out. Thank you for the knots that you will untangle. Thank you for the miracles that will be performed. Thank you for the grace in our lives because of your presence where we will no longer push back in anger with a spirit of offense at what you are allowing or, or not allowing. Oh Lord, we love you. We love you. We cannot make it without you. We cannot make it without you. Mold us in your hands. In Jesus' name. Now with that being said, we know that there are needs that are represented in this place. There may be some here that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior and somebody listening online that you're not a Christian but you're feeling that tug of the Spirit.
you're feeling that tug of the Spirit. Some of you, it may be that you've got a handful of hair being jerked. Others, it's just a touch against your cheek. But you feel the Lord drawing you. If you are here, if you're over in Brown Chapel, if you're listening online, we want to give you an opportunity to come to Jesus. We're here to pray with you in the sanctuary over in the chapel. If you're listening online, there's a number that will come on your screen. If you'll call that number, folks will be ready to pray with you. If we have a lot of calls or something and you have to leave a message, leave a message and we'll call you right back just as soon as we possibly can. Others of you are here and you're sick you're struggling, you've had, this, this Christmas has been difficult for you. You've experienced loss, you've experienced disappointment. We're not minimizing that at all. We're simply saying you don't have to carry that in your strength. You don't have to carry that in your strength. He's here to help you. Ministry team, if you'll move into position, I'll dismiss everyone. And if you'd like to have prayer, then just come down and meet with these prayer warriors. They are here for you. Father, thank you for a new year. Thank you for 2022, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We don't thank you in a fatalistic sense, but we thank you that you got us through. Some of us had incredible losses, but you got us through. Some of us are still carrying pain that's too deep for words, but you got us through and you're walking with us. We thank you for that. Now make our hearts stout and strong for the new year. We don't know what we're going to face. We don't know what's going to come our way. But Lord, we want your presence to rise to a new level in our lives because we know with you, with you, everything is right. Everything is right. Give us help. Receive those coming to you. Receive those that have come to Jesus for help and refuge. In your name we pray, amen.